Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Tracy Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. So I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Live with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. Casey Patterson, that never gets old, my man. Never. Thanks for doing that. Welcome into the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. Your intrepid host, Kevin Barnett, sitting in studio, in the home court, all by himself, just hanging out, waiting for somebody else to show up, to give us a call, to be a part of the program. Hope uh, hope you might be a part of the program if you're a part of our show via iTunes. Thanks very much for listening. We hope you are enjoying the Net Live, courtesy of Volleyball Magazine, the AVCA, and other great sponsors. We're going to have a good show for you today. We're going to have College Volleyball Weekly. Brandon Rosenthal will be joining us along with a new correspondent. We have found someone to join Brandon, so it's not just the Brandon show. We're going to have Deb Static on the program here. She's uh, currently program director for the Badger Region Volleyball Association in the greater Milwaukee area, but this is a player who was at Ohio, or pardon me, Iowa State University years ago and has gone through a whole bunch of different places in the volleyball world, all the way from running camps and clubs and interning for USA Volleyball and moving on to being a freelance blogger and press coordinator for the women's national team, those kinds of things. She's done a lot of different stuff. She is continuing to keep up on college volleyball, and we are going to be pleased to welcome her into the program to join Brandon Rosenthal and continue to give you a good preview and look and review and analysis of NCAA volleyball on the women's side of the game right now. So we look forward to having Deb and Brandon on later. DJ Ruscha is going to check in. He's going to be calling in to talk about AVP Atlantic City. I'm not sure if the AVP is gaining steam. Hopefully it is. DJ Ruscha will compare for us. We'll compare for us uh, Cincy and Atlantic City, which was better. Is the AVP going the right direction? How are sponsor relations? Was the music any good? Uh, of course, we know that he'll he'll say that the music was really good. Uh, we expect him to definitely promo his own music. You know, the USA women's team is getting ready for a big event coming up in Omaha, 16th to the 21st. That is of this month. Coming up 16th to the 21st, just six days away. The United States women will be in action in Omaha, Nebraska. And if you haven't had an opportunity to see them play, I suggest you get out there. Get yourself a ticket. 
Come on, lodging's not that expensive in Omaha. It's Omaha. It's not uh, Atlantic City. It's not Los Angeles. It's not San Francisco. It's Omaha, people. You can probably stay at the Best Western for a reasonable rate and go in and check out what is one of the most talented gyms in the entire world and one of the most talented gyms that there has ever been. You know, they're fielding a team of women out of that gym to compete in Norseka, and it is going to be incredible. Look for the women to qualify for Grand Champions Cup. So if you're anywhere in the area, I encourage you to get out there and see them play. The men's team going to be in action in Canada, which isn't so far away, Langley, British Columbia. That's going to be the 23rd to the 29th. So directly following the women's program, you will have the men's program get an opportunity to see both teams. Well, Langley, British Columbia is the place, 23rd to the 29th. Again, the men's team trying to qualify for Grand Champions Cup. You want to get out there and check that out. And we want to talk about on the program today kind of USA men's expectations. We spent some time this year talking about the expectations for World League and what we thought the John Spraw era should look like or would look like. Of course, the United States men not qualifying for the final round in World League, although not without chances to qualify. They had their opportunity to get into that final round. You remember they were leading against Poland in Poland. Match number one had four match points. They did not convert on any of those match points. However, just the fact that they had those match points against what I think is a very talented young Polish team was a step in the right direction. They then played Brazil. They played Brazil tough on night number one, and I thought the American men represented themselves well throughout the tournament. They definitely have some growing pains, some things to go through before they're going to be where they need to be. But we've talked about this before. Two years. Two years is the minimum that I give a new head coach and a largely new team an opportunity to learn. They need two years. John Spraw, as experienced and as dedicated as he is, as much experience as he had with the men's national team over the last eight years, being the head man is different. Having to coach these players, collegiate players, some of whom he knows, some of whom he recruited, some of whom he played against with his college team, he needs time to develop these players into international caliber athletes. It is not something you can do overnight. It is not something that U.S. athletes come prepared for directly out of college. The level in college, as big as Division I women's is, as excellent as Division I women's has become, as it has accelerated and improved undoubtedly over the last five to ten years, it is nowhere near the international game. Incredibly difficult to step from college to the international game, much the way you see on the NBA side of things. Very hard to step from college to the NBA. And some athletes can do it and star, but if you really dissect their game, if you really go through what they are contributing to their teams, you will find that these are not complete athletes. Rare in a generation is an athlete that can step from college to the pros and be a complete contributor. Even the great LeBron James in the NBA, he was not a complete player. It took him another five years of development to become a complete player, at least five years. So a lot of chatter about different athletes coming out, 
whether it be on the women's side or the men's side, into the international game and people expecting them to, quote, take over or be the man or be the woman on their team. Just not likely to happen. They may play. They may contribute. But if you really get inside their game, they are not complete volleyball players for at least five years. And that number is critical. You know the Olympic Games functions on a four-year cycle. So even if you come in at the very beginning of the cycle, I still don't think you're complete by the time the Olympic Games roll around the first time. I think it's the second time that you go to the Olympic Games when you are prepared mentally, physically. You have the experience of the Olympic Games behind you. You understand the rhythm of that tournament, which is far different than any other tournament. You're much more prepared as an athlete to contribute to that experience, to your team in that critical moment of the Olympic Games. Five years minimum. Could be more like six for a lot of athletes. And that's doing it professionally, learning all the time. Then you can be a complete player. Destiny Hooker on the women's team. As impressive as she was. As impressive as she was at the last Olympic Games. She was not a complete player. Her serving needs work. Her defense needs work. Right now she's building a family instead of being out on the court. We will see how that affects her three years from now. No doubt she can hit with the best in the world. No doubt. She is an elite-level attacker at the international level. She brought that skill. She brought it along quickly. But at the other phases of the game where you have to be good, you have to be exceptional at everything in order in order to be considered one of the best players in the world and to be an elite-level player all around. No matter the athlete you are, it takes time and repetition to become comfortable with playing the game at that level, playing the entire game at that level, a very difficult thing to do. The expectations that I have for these teams, for the women's team for Norseka, they're going to win. That's my prediction. They will win Norseka. No question. They're the best team. I think they're going to win Norseka. They're going to go to Grand Champions Cup. Now, when they go to Grand Champions Cup, we're going to start to get a view of what Karch Karai is really doing in that gym. Again, two years. Two years minimum for Karch Karai and John Spraw both. But we're going to start to get a little window into what Karch has done with a year complete and playing in his first world tournament as head coach. So I expect the USA women to dominate Norseka. I expect them to win in Omaha. So if you're going to show up in Omaha, you're going to get a show, and I think you're going to get a USA victory. So be there. Paint your face. Put some stars on your forehead. Get some stripes across your cheek. Wear some red, white, and blue. Get out the triangle hat. Go Matt Gardhoff. Get excited. And cheer on that team. It's not to say, I think they're the best team they're going to win. It's not to say they don't need fans. They need the fans. Jordan Larson going to be a superstar at this event. Of course, an alum of the University of Nebraska. One of my favorite players in the international game today, the way she plays the game. Watch her jump serving. That's something you need to look for when you're watching the women play. 
Watch Jordan Larson's jump serving. If you're a coach out there, start to teach it that way, please. There are too, far too many superior female athletes in the game that are not jump serving at a high level. I believe in the female athlete. I believe in their ability to hit a quality jump serve. Watch Jordan Larson. Watch her hit the ball from the service line. That's how you get it done. She's going to be awesome. That place is going to be rocking. Kristen Hildebrandt, also on the outside. Keep an eye on her attacking. I'm interested to see how she progresses this year. I think she's dynamic on the left-hand side. I think the middles are interesting as well. There's a lot of competition at middle. Harmato, Paolini, lots of names in the middle. I think it's exciting to see the new young middles take over. We'll see who makes this trip. We'll see who is on this roster, who the middles are that get selected. Will a veteran like Daniel Scott Ahuda get in there? Or Daniel Scott. I guess she's back to Daniel Scott. Will she get in there? Those are things to watch. Watch this young roster. Watch the setters. Alicia Glass continuing to develop. Courtney Thompson has seen time. Love the competitive fire of Courtney Thompson. Keep your eye on this women's team. It's going to be interesting all four years. But if you're watching now, in four years' time, you're going to have a much better picture of how these ladies made or did not make the Olympic team that's headed to Brazil in 2016. On the men's side of things, a couple of names back in. They just had a couple of red-blue scrimmages. We mistakenly did not promo them here on the program last week. They had some red-blue scrimmages. Last one happening in Tustin, California, down south the alleged hometown of John Hyden for a long time, said he was from Tustin, California. John Hyden claims he was never from Tustin, California. Not sure if John put that in his bio or not, but he would always complain each time he was announced as being from Tustin, California. So check it off on your list. John Hyden, not from Tustin. But the USA men did play in Tustin. They had an opportunity to play a couple of different scrimmages. And some of the, the roster names... We're interesting. Setters, Kyle Caldwell, Kavika Shoji. You saw both of them in World League if you watched World League. A couple of young guys, Shoji, quite athletic, six foot three, plays some defense, good blocker, fiery leader. Kyle Caldwell, inexperienced, six foot eight, a big guy, questionable touch on the ball at times, but delivering the ball. How about a third name thrown in there? Micah Christensen. Out of USC, you knew he was going to get some time. You may have heard on this program that he was going to get some time. Well, we'll see if he gets some time in North Seca. He was getting some time in the scrimmages. How about Laveros, Michael Brinkley, Rich Lamborn, Eric Shoji, the veteran Lamborn, the upstart Shoji, best player, I believe, best player in World League for the USA men. When you talk about player development, and positional play. Eric Shoji, most exciting, most improved, most interesting guy coming out of World League in the beginning of the John Sparrow era. Middle blockers, Russ Holmes, Max Holt, Dave Lee, Dave Smith, a lot of familiar names there, and Futi Tavana, an unfamiliar name. I'm going to have to look up Futi. I need a bio. Outside hitters, Matt Anderson. Heard he was having some trouble with a knee. Good to see Matt Anderson back in there. 
Tony Chiarelli, trying to earn a roster spot, trying to figure out what he does exceptionally well in the international game. Paul Lottman, kind of the wily veteran right now. Paul Lottman was a spark plug off the bench in World League. Can he do the same at North Seca? Will he be selected? Jeff Menzel, of course, led UC Santa Barbara deep into the playoffs as far as they have ever gone in the men's side a couple of years ago. An incredible leaper. Can Menzel pass? Can he play defense? Can he contribute from the service line? Big jumper. Great athlete. Keep your eye on Menzel. See if he makes a roster. Reed Pretty, the veteran, back in there. I would expect if Pretty is healthy, you know, friend of the program, we will see him on that North Saker roster. Sean Rooney, back. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Sean Rooney. He's uh, had shoulder surgery, but back in the lineup. Good to see Sean back out there and still at it, making a living as a professional volleyball player. Opposites were Carson Clark and Troy Murphy. Those are the two guys right now. Clay Stanley's name not on there. Clay Stanley's still working on getting healthy. He's definitely on a four-year plan. One of the names not in night number one. Or maybe he was in night number one. Hold on, I have my my rosters back and forth here. I guess that was night two. Night number one, I saw Dave McKenzie's name in there. So Dave McKenzie, Olympic veteran. You might remember his serving from 2012. Came in and did a fantastic job. Had a couple of good years at opposite. Dave McKenzie back in the mix with the USA men. I'm not sure about their fate at Norseka. In years past... The main threat, oh, B.J. Evans, hold on. B.J. Evans telling me he's no longer training with the team, but it doesn't mean he won't be back. A lot of players left at the end of August. Dave McKenzie no longer with the team. Okay, so there's your update on Dave McKenzie. He's going to pursue some beach volleyball, so he's kind of bouncing back and forth. Getting back to this tournament that's going to happen in Langley. Years past, the main threat, in the Norseka zone for the United States was Cuba. Cuba was the main team. Not anymore. Cuba in a down cycle still with some of their best players defecting. A common problem for the Cubans. So that leaves the United States alone. But wait, there's Canada. Get the Canadian Mounties. Start singing. Start looking at the maple leaf. Oh, Canada, my frozen northern home. They're back. Coach Glenn Hogue doing a really nice job with that squad. There's a couple of young players up there. Uh, the name is escaping me of the opposite, but, boy, he is a beast. Fred Winters formerly played down here at NCAA Volleyball, still with that team on the outside. I believe it's Gavin, gosh, I'm trying to think of Gavin's last name, the opposite perhaps. Uh, B.J. Evans can come up with it for me here on the chat board. But Canada is the threat to the United States. That's the matchup that I'm waiting to see, the United States versus Canada. Canada, you might remember the last time they made the Olympic Games, Gavin Schmidt, thank you very much, B.J. Evans, Gavin Schmidt, big-time opposite. 
Last time Canada made the Olympic Games, 1996. 1996. You know why they got in? The United States was automatically in. The United States in 2000 defeated Canada in Canada to go to the Olympic Games. 2004, the United States wins the zone over Cuba, five-set thriller. 2008, the United States again wins the zone, I believe. Maybe my memory is fading. But suffice to say, Canada has not been able to make the Olympics for a long time. Perhaps now is the time. Maybe they have the pieces, the parts. They're still hanging on to Dan Lewis at Libero, a player from my era. He's got to be 39, 38, 40, something like that. We will see what happens with Canada. So 23rd to the 29th, North Seca, Langley, British Columbia. You get an opportunity, you're nearby, go up and see this team play. It's just as exciting on the men's side to see what young players are going to contribute. Name you didn't hear, Dustin Watton in the libero position has already gone to Brazil. He's there early. Started his winter season. He's writing a cool blog. He's putting up some videos. We're going to try and get Dustin up here on the show shortly and talk to him about his experience. He's giving a kind of a multimedia experience there and what it's like to be a professional player. So we'll give you an idea of what it's like to be a professional player. And, and we'd like to, on this show all the time, give you an idea of what it's like to be a professional DJ. So let's welcome in our professional DJ from the East Coast. He's traveling. He's in the midst of a, a seven-week journey, a World Grand Prix-type journey, DJ Ruscha. Jeremy. Hello, Hello, everybody. How are we doing today? We're doing well. The music won't be good, but uh, but the show well, will go on. Well, after last week's Smashing Pumpkins' greatest hits, I'm surprised people are still listening. <laughs> they don't tune in for the music, Jeremy, if you figured this out. When when I'm hosting, well, they know that the music is not why they're here. Should I not tweet out that I'm not in the studio, so don't tune in because the music's going to be awful? <laughs> at least a third of the audience goes away at that point. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, this past week, Atlantic City AVP. Uh, what kind of what kind of trend are we on here? Are we trending up? Or are we trending down? Coming out of Cincy. We're trending up. I um, I have to admit, going into Atlantic City, I didn't know what to expect, and so I've been trying to decide if I had low expectations or no expectations. So I was pleasantly surprised. Like I haven't answered that question yet, but I was I was impressed with. The crowd, the um, they showed up all weekend long, and it was standing room only during the finals. It was a eight-team main draw for men and women, so it was a smaller event. It was an invitational, so it was a very intimate setup. There was four courts, and usually the way it's set up, I can't see the outside courts from the DJ area, but I could see two and I could see two and a half courts plus stadium courts, so I could see almost all of the courts. So I had a very intimate feel, but not – I didn't feel crowded as in, like, I didn't feel claustrophobic with everything on top of you. So fans had plenty of room. Stadium was great, but it was a very intimate feel right there on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And um, everybody, uh, you know, we hadn't been – I had never been to Atlantic City before, and I don't believe the ADP has been there before. I think they've had some pro events in Atlantic City, but it's been at least 16 years since they've had anything there. Okay. So, sort of a new venue. After 16 years, I think we can call it a new venue. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was it wasn't actually on the beach, which was surprising at first. It was between two hotels, but the location it was was at um is a now permanent volleyball court area. There's I think they said they had like seven or eight courts normally there, and so we had to pull up, you know, remove some of the nets to put the stadium and stuff there. But this area is a dedicated volleyball area. It's open from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And um, it's on the west side of the beach, so we weren't actually on the ocean side, but you could see the water, at least from where I was, but we were right next to the boardwalk. So if people were walking by on the boardwalk, they would stop, and the stadium was open to the boardwalk, so you could stand on the boardwalk and watch all matches all day long on stadium court. It was a great setup. Nice, nice. So a permanent facility, Memorial Day to Labor Day. I always get those two mixed up. Yep. Memorial Day to Labor Day. Labor Day to Memorial Day wouldn't make any sense over there. Memorial Day is first. Labor Day is last. <laughs> Memorial is in May. Remember, M and M. How about uh, how about the presence in the community? When you're there and you're just around, you're not actively at the tournament, was there a presence or was there a vibe that the AVP was in town? You know, I, I don't know. There was a volleyball presence there because there was also a amateur event going on that same exact weekend a couple miles away that happens, from what I understand, once a year, and it's actually a pretty big tournament. So there were a lot of volleyball people in town that weekend gotcha. to begin with. And so it's hard to decipher whether it was like, oh, was it the ADP's presence or not? But the Atlantic City Alliance, which was really gung-ho about – bringing the AVP to Atlantic City was responsible for all the marketing and things like that. And from what I could tell, they did a, good, did a good job. I mean, the place was – there were people there all weekend long. And unlike Cincinnati, which wasn't the promoter's fault, it was the timing, um, the stadium was full and it was standing room only around the boardwalk and on the, and on the sand. Really? Was it not the promoter's fault? Because I, I, when I played, I would hear that all the time. We'd go to a city, there'd be 42 people in the stands, and they'd say, well, you know, there's just all these other things happening. Well, there's always other things happening. You have to outcompete those of other course. things. Uh, well, well, I will say this about Cincinnati. Like, this is the first year I've been to Cincinnati where it wasn't packed for the finals, and this is also the first time we've been in Cincinnati where the finals were on a, on a Monday, and it started at 6 o'clock at night. Like, the first final was at 6, and that was TV's decision to have it that late. So I will definitely give the promoter a pass on that because they've but, always come through and um, – Starting at 6 o'clock on a Monday for the first finals, I think, is pretty difficult for the fans. Yeah, Labor Day's over. Labor Day ends about 3 o'clock on Monday. <laughs> Everybody's got to get back to life. they got to sober up before Tuesday. Uh, so, yeah, good yeah. good for TV, bad for the promoter. Hey, you mentioned the other amateur event a few miles away. What other events were happening in conjunction? Was it just a, another day on the boardwalk and people are out there and they're kind of getting drawn in, or were there other things in conjunction with this? Was anyone eating a bunch of hot dogs? Yeah, and trying to draw people from there. Hot dog, I, I didn't see a bunch of hot dog eating, which was uh, probably a good thing because I don't know about you, but seeing a bunch of people shovel hot dogs in their mouth is not uh, one of my favorite pastimes. Not gonna lie to you. <laughs> You're not a big fan but of Kobayashi? They, uh, the, come on, not Joey Chestnut? That's just me. They, come on, these are these are these are eating athletes. What do they call them? I, I forget the name that they they call these people. They try and call them athletes, competitive eaters. That's what they are, competitive eating athletes. Yeah, just because you're competitive doesn't mean you're an athlete. Let's just throw that out there. It's right up there with my other favorite term, mathletes. Look at these mathletes. Sorry, you can't be a mathlete. <laughs> Unless you're running and doing math at the same time, you are not an athlete of any kind. 
Unless you're doing a thousand crunches and jumping jacks, you're not a mathlete. If you were doing push-ups and algebra, I'll give you a mathlete. No problem. But <laughs> since you're sitting there with your pencil and paper, you're not. That's nothing. There's nothing athletic about what's happening. Stop trying to co-opt athletics to make academics sound more exciting. Okay. So any other events happening? There was, uh, I believe there was a Miss America pageant going on that weekend as well. Ooh. I did not see any Miss America contestants. Well, bummer. So I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was in Toronto <clears throat> over the wintertime, and there was a fashion week going on. It was like Vogue Fashion Week. And you went out at 9 o'clock at night, you could tell it was Vogue Fashion Week. There were some, some contestants, some uh, participants roaming the city. But you didn't have the same experience there in Atlantic City. Did you see Snooky? Maybe was she there? I did not. I did not see Snooky. What I found amusing too, like all you know, the staff and the players, we were all in the same hotel. And you asked about like, could I feel the presence of volleyball? Even, whenever I walked through the hotel, I didn't see anybody I knew. And we were all staying in the same hotel. And I don't. I, that was weird to me. It's like, how are we all staying here? And I didn't see anybody sitting at the tables that I knew. I didn't see anybody at dinner that I knew walking around. Like, and then all of a sudden. Everybody shows up at the tournament site, and it was a great tournament. Have you been blacklisted by the players? I mean, has, has this show finally gotten you blacklisted? <laughs> no, 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 no. Far, far from it. I am now making new friends on the player side, and um, we are all good to do. Although, Jen Kessie did yell at me this weekend from the court, so there oh. might, be a, might be a little bit of a rift there. Oh, maybe your husband not too happy about your uh, your constant advances here on this program. First of all, if anybody's making advances, it's you. <laughs> and trust me, I let, I, and I let him know. I handed him a picture of you so he knows what you look like whenever you guys cross paths. You let him know that I'm I'm back in shape, been training, been doing pull-ups with the 45-pound vest on. That I will, in fact, destroy him. I will take I will take yeah, him, and he will he he will be yelling "Sacre bleu, sacre bleu, let go." Uh, you have no chance. That's the best. What part. are you talking about? Oh. It's so beat up the Frenchman. You do. You have no chance. Dang it. All right. Well, speaking of new friends, uh, are you becoming fast friends with the White Widow? How great is that nickname, by the way? You have to tell people who the White Widow is. So Summer Ross is now known as the White Widow. It uh, was brought to mine and Dustin Aval's attention that that nickname has kind of been going around. So Dustin tested it out during an intro for her earlier in the tournament, and Emily Day tweeted me later that evening because Dustin was asking, like, well, does she like it? And Emily Day tweeted later that Summer loved the nickname, so I think that's going to stick around for a while. Nice. So we have athlete approval. Are we, are we seeking athlete approval now for nicknames? You know... Remember, we've talked about Phil not being the biggest fan of the Thin Beast nickname, but it just right. kind of stuck, so you have to go with it. But I think White Widow could be a little bit aggressive, so if you don't like it, and since it was so new, like you could go away from it. But uh, she seems to like it, so I think it's going to stick around for a little while. The White Widow, I like it. I like that, uh, yeah, she's, uh, I don't know, is she sneaking up on people? Is she poisoning people with arsenic? Uh, is she perhaps eating her mate? After uh, after after the confrontation, 
I don't know. There's a lot of potential directions you can go with the White Widow. A lot you could go along. I mean, the white part is pretty obvious because she has no tan at all whatsoever, so you have that going for you. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that type of uh, look. Uh, you know that very well, that's for sure. And then the Widow part is, you know, there she's a killer on the court. So I think uh, I think it's aptly appropriate in this uh, in this circumstance. I like it. I like it. I like that she didn't try and give it to herself, because you know what happens if you try and give yourself a nickname? It doesn't work. Yeah, you end up getting called Coco. Just ask Jason Ring. This is an old Seinfeld reference. George wanted to be nicknamed T-Bone. George Costanza wanted to be T-Bone. Instead, they started calling him Coco. So yeah, Jason has to be natural. Jason Ring of AVP fame from the uh, George and Jason show, George Romain and Jason Ring, when they played together in the middle 2000s. He tried to nickname himself The Show when he was on the national team back around 1997 or 8. And since he tried to give himself a nickname instead of The Show, he became Coco. You you cannot you cannot give yourself a nickname. You just you just cannot do it. It's not it's not cool. It's not it doesn't work. It has to be natural. It just has to come out. It just has to happen. Yeah, it definitely it definitely has to be natural. All right. So how about how about sponsor interactions? This is what I've wondered with with the AVP and with this year that they're trying to get under their belt and trying to prove their footprints and trying to prove their ability to put butts in the seats. How have the sponsor interactions been going? You know, it seems good. I can't tell, like, obviously, if you look at the AVP website, I haven't looked at it in a couple of weeks, but I think under their sponsor, it still just links Wilson as the only one. But there are sponsors at these events, and now whether or not they're just saying, like, look, come to this event. We want you to be involved. I don't know, like, how much they would charge. I don't know how all that stuff works. But it feels more like, look, be involved so you can see for it for yourself, and then if you want to be involved after this, we can talk. Oh, we've lost Jeremy. Jeremy, call back. He just disappeared right there. You know, he kind of blew off. I don't know. It's uh, strange strange how that happens sometimes here with our technology, but we will continue to fight on. Uh, we're talking about the AVP out there in Atlantic City. That has been the main discussion point, and we will have more talk with Jeremy. We'll get him back. We'll get him back in here, and we'll chat about it. hope you're getting us via iTunes. You're having an opportunity to listen to us for free. Take us with you wherever you are. And thanks to Volleyball Magazine as well as the ABCA. So ABCA College Volleyball Weekly coming up as well as more Jeremy here on the Net Live. Thank you. For listening again. Or for the first time. Or for the last time. We share this moment. And I am grateful for this. I was born to rage for my father's pain with my brother's style for my mother's reign. We could use some hope. We must learn to cope. So be good with goodbyes. So be good with goodbyes. 
Welcome back into the Net Live here on Volvo Magazine. Appreciate you tuning in. Listening to the program, Kevin Barnett holding down the home court with a little AWOL Nation there. AWOL Nation, check them out. They're a lot of fun. I really like uh, AWOL Nation and what they're doing with their music. You might have heard them. Yeah, we did have Jeremy Ruscha. We have him back, I believe, on the line. Jeremy, uh, White Widow Striker, what happened there? Yeah, like why that's now I know what it feels like when callers call into our show and we just absolutely hang up on them. <laughs> you were you were going on about sponsorship interactions and then all of a sudden it was dead air. Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't move. I'm sitting here in full bars. I, I blame you. I don't know why, but it's I definitely blame you. It's not me. It's AT and T, buddy. All right. So you were telling us about sponsorship interactions and and that they have their main set of sponsors, the AVP for this year, but there are other things going on. Yeah, I mean they have, you know, they have people out there, and they have new sponsors at every event, and I think it's one of those where it's like, look, come out to our event, you can sponsor it, do as much as you want or as little as you want, but just see it for yourself in person, and then you can decide after that if you really want to be on board full time or not. I, I think that's the strategy, and you know, if you've been to any of the events this year, I, I don't see how you could not like what the ABP brings to the table. All right, so Donald, how many year plan do you think he has here? It's at least till next year. I mean, g- given what I've heard, we're at least through another another year. I would think. I mean, I would think his first goal would be, you know, obviously you got to get through the first year, and this really is the first full year. I mean, they had two yeah. events last season, but this is really the first full year. So you got to get through the first one. You know, there'll be some bumps in the road, and you'll figure out what worked and what didn't work for you. But like anything, I I would guess that his plans, at least through the next Olympic cycle, to try to get through that would be my guess. I mean, I don't know. He hasn't, you know, I didn't ask him that. He hasn't told me that. But I would hope that that's the longer-term plan to, you know, be on board and at least push it through and see what you can do in those few years. Because like anything, I mean, when I started my first business, like I didn't make money for the first couple of years. You know, you just kind of get through and um, it, it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time to build up. And like we said on the show, like I keep reminding people, like volleyball, it's really it started over again. It started over again each of the last few seasons, and it's really starting over again this year as well. So it's it's going to take some time. Yeah, it, it definitely is going to take some time. It's good to hear that, that Donald is at least executing a long-term strategy that goes beyond just this year and this next year. Hey, tell us about the the two tournaments there, the women's side of things, uh, Jen Kessie and Ava Ross with the victory. Jen Kessie, Ava Ross with the victory in three over the White Widow and Emily Day, which, by the way, had to make it through the qualifier again. And well, that's just not right. That's just not right. Well, I know. You, you win the tournament, and now you're in the finals next week. Good luck to you. But they, um, it's just the way the point system works. I, I don't think the points from Cincinnati kick in until the next tournament, which I think I looked it up today. They'll be seated seventh for St. Pete. So they will. They should not have to worry about having to qualify for tournaments from this point on. They beat Terry and Whitney again twice in this tournament. They beat them the first match on Saturday, and then they beat them in the semifinals to get to the finals on Sunday. So they they seem to have Karen Whitney's number right now, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, they're 4-0 in their last four meetings against that uh, that team. Yeah, one of those being in the finals, by the way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. 
How does uh, how does Carrie three? Carrie, um, how did Carrie and Whitney change what they're doing? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, watching it, like they're playing this summer, and Emily are playing extremely well. Whitney made some mistakes, hitting the ball out of bounds. Um, some digs that you'd think that she would normally get, she didn't dig in the proper place for Carrie to get it. So, um, you know, I'm not. And by no means am I putting it all on Whitney, but they're just little things that aren't that you're seeing that they're doing in that match that aren't characteristic of them. And now is that because of the way Summer and Emily are playing, or it's just happenstance that it happens in those matches? But um, and Carrie's not 100 percent yet either. She may tell you she is, and right. people may try to sell that, but there's no way she can be 100 percent, or she can't. There's no way she is at the top of her game where she has been after her last two kids. I mean, there's just she she's only a few months out if six months at the most from having her last child, which I don't even think it's been six months. So I don't see how it's physically possible to be a hundred percent. But they have moments of looking great. They have other moments of not looking that great together. And they're also a new partnership. So you're still learning your partner. I don't care if Carrie's the greatest volleyball player of all time playing with her, you still have to get used to who you're playing with on the other side of the court. Um, But Summer and Emily, I mean, they just, they look good. They look good in the finals against Jen in April. It went three. Game one was in overtime. I think it was like 25-23 in game one. And then game three was 15-13 with Jen and April coming out on top. And it wasn't it wasn't a given that Jen and April were going to win game three. It's not like they had control the whole match. I mean, it was pretty tight the whole time. And April got a few good uh, – she went on a little bit of a run herself. Got some jump serves and then a couple blocks. And uh, a couple of digs and quick putaways, and that was the difference. Just one, one or two plays here or there, and uh, Summer and Emily now have to be thought about as one of the top teams on the women's side if they keep doing what they're doing. Okay, so Robert Griffin the third. I watched him last night against my Eagles. My Eagles won. Thank you very much. Uh, but in regards to Kerry and Robert Griffin the third, I mean, both athletes will tell you, "Oh, I'm 100% definitely ready to go." Not true. If you watched Robert Griffith last night, you could see he's hopping around, he's moving away, and they did a good job of detailing some of the finer mechanics of how you could figure that he wasn't 100%. But you watch him move, he's not 100%. You're saying you're kind of seeing the same thing with Kerry. Yeah, and it's not even like she doesn't look like she's laboring out there at all or favoring anything. It's just she's she's not the Kerry that you've seen before. It's the finer um, points. And even, yeah, of course, there's like it's just little things like there's a ball like, uh, 99 times out of 100, there's a ball she would get a hand on and it would pop up perfectly as opposed to this time it kind of went off the side of her hand out of bounds more. Like, it's just it's little tiny things that, you know, it's just a matter of time before she gets back. And I guarantee you, she could be in the gym right now thinking about losing to Emily and Summer, and I wouldn't want to be the gym because Carrie's punishing the gym right now. I, I guarantee it. Yeah, maybe she's punishing the gym or maybe she's changing diapers. It depends on how much help she's got there at the house and uh, what case he's picking up. <laughs> That's true. But they, uh, I mean, Carrie is, she's, you can, she hates losing. And not that anybody likes losing, but like you can see it, like the frustration, frustration is mounting. And it's not a, some players will get frustrated and they'll look at their partner and it's their partner's fault. Um, which Carrie could easily do after you play with Misty. You could look at anybody else and go, it's definitely you, it's not me. But Carrie is constantly positive with her partner. Carrie will take blame for things that aren't even her fault. Um, 
so she she knows she's not 100 percent she's working hard she wants her partner to work hard but summer you have to give credit to summer summer and uh, emily it's not like carrie and whitney are rolling over and it's not like jen and april we're going to roll over in the finals either i like that not a good partnership tactic it's you not me <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you you know you've seen it out there, Kevin. I, I guarantee you, you have told your setter if you would set me better, I could put that ball away. I guarantee. For sure. Yeah, and we could have several people on here to back that up. There's no doubt Definitely. that the, the younger Barnett told uh, told several setters. A number one, set me every ball. Secondly, set it better every time, please. Set it better. Set it um, better. On the men's side, we we finally got to see Phil and Rosie take on Jake and Casey in the finals, which is something I know I've been waiting to see. And I'm, I guarantee you uh, a lot of the fans are. And unfortunately it wasn't on CBS this week because it was the invitational shootout. Um, so not everybody got to see it, but it was everybody got their money's worth. They're free event money's worth for sure. They're free event money's worth. Yeah, I, I, got your money's worth. I love that they gave out a gigantic poker chip. As the uh, the victory item there, I, I, the picture of Casey Patterson oh, is pretty sweet. It was great, and Jen Kessie at the end kind of threw hers in the air. And as it's about 25 feet in the air catching wind, I think all of us held our breath for a second, like it could actually kick somebody out. <laughs> really hurt them pretty good. But luckily, it landed about five feet away from a little girl in the sand. And uh, no one had any injuries. I can imagine the injury report at the local hospital. Uh, how did this injury occur? Yeah. A giant poker chip fell out of the sky and crushed me. Exactly. And uh, Casey Patterson was legitimately going to take the inside and put it on, uh, put it all on black just to see if it would work. <laughs> Too bad it would cover three quarters of the table. Yeah. Uh, so, so really, his odds were really good. So he probably had to bet on everything. So twenty one nineteen, twenty one fifteen in just forty one minutes. That's a that's a pretty quick match. It was, and it was because of where we were. It wasn't uh, like we were playing on real sand. Sand didn't have to be brought in. Like sand is in this location where the our tournament was because it's a you know six month a year volleyball site. But it was definitely a jumper's beach. It was a little bit more hard packed. Rosie, who we all know can jump already, was really skying out there as well. And we all know Phil is athletic. It can jump too, but um, that was also beneficial to Casey Patterson too, because he, he can get up and uh, they just, Casey and Jay, they're in rhythm. I mean, they are playing really well and it's almost, you get to a point where like you're playing with somebody and there's, you don't have to verbally communicate. You already know what the other partner is going to do. Right. And they seem to be there already in such a quick partnership. Um, and Casey's fire, again, is unbelievable. But you see it, you see it carrying over to Jake as well. Jake is, Jake will get motivated. Doesn't need somebody to be yelling and screaming. But Jake will give you the flex down every once in a while. But Casey's energy is contagious, and you can see it catching on to Jake. Like Jake will get a block or two in a row, and he may give like a stare to the crowd. But like he gave a yell a couple of times and a little bit of a flex down, and it, you can just tell he's having a lot of fun playing with Casey. Yeah. Did we get a boom out of him at any point? I don't know if he actually said boom. There was uh, a couple explosions for me, sound effect-wise. And Casey did tell the crowd to quiet down at one point because Phil roofed him. But Casey just reminded the crowd that that was just one. He's only blocked him one time in this match. Don't need to get super excited about it, uh, which I found highly entertaining. 
<laughs> now, you mentioned the sand helping Rosenthal kind of get back to being the dynamic Rosenthal everyone's used to seeing. Is Has he recovered mentally from Manhattan Beach? It seemed like he was still suffering kind of a hangover from that event. Um, you know, talking to Rosie, he felt really confident going into this event. He, I mean, I honestly feel like Rosie thought before the tournament even started, like, they were going to win. I think he had, like, in his mind, he had no doubt, like, we're going to win this tournament, and I'm going to have 20 wins on my record after this tournament. Um, so I don't think I don't think he was suffering. I don't think he was suffering from the Manhattan Beach loss. I think Rosie's pretty good at being able to let that kind of stuff go. Like, it doesn't uh, – I don't feel him carrying that stuff around with him that much. I mean, it could be motivating, but I don't think it's a, uh, oh, man, I wish – I let that one go, and he's still dwelling on it for a long time. He, uh, talking to him before the event started, he was very confident about it. Talking to him Sunday morning, he felt really good about it. And uh, just Jake and Casey, just they outplayed them, Phil and Rosie, again. What did second place take home? I see the winners took home 13000 but the prize money, even as these events got close, was kind of under wraps. I never heard exactly what the breakdown was. I think second place split. Ten. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think that's what second place split because it was a smaller field and a smaller tournament. I know the prize money wasn't as much as it was. I think Manhattan Beach was the biggest prize money of the year, but uh, um, it's still, you know, still not a bad payday. I'll take it. No, no, it's it's good. It's good if you're winning. It's good if you're second. It's it's not good if you're finishing last. And obviously, it's not good if you're sitting outside of the top eight because you're not even there. You're not even invited. You're not even in a tournament. Yeah, you're, um, I believe if you, you're if you made the main yeah. draw, you were already walking away with almost two thousand dollars. I think just showing up if you're in the main draw, if I remember correctly, you got almost two thousand um, dollars just to be there. Okay, so was that per team? That had to be per team, uh, correct? That would be no. I think per player. I think you. I think if you finished seventh in this tournament, you got each player got almost two thousand dollars. Okay, well that's not bad. But most of the other players, unfortunately, were. Uh, we're telling Chili's that they were available to take up some shifts on Friday and Saturday night. That's not a good thing. Correct. I mean, it's also, too, like, the difficult thing was the, did you come to this tournament because they had a qualifier and one team got out per gender? Did you come to Atlantic City to play in this qualifier, or did you go to St. Pete a weekend before because the St. Petersburg qualifier for that event this coming weekend was this past weekend? Oh, Okay. So it was, it was split from the week. A little bit, a little bit of a mix-up for sure. Um, I, I promise you that won't happen again. So you're definitely going to have a lot of Florida teams that made it out of the qualifier to play in the main draw in the St. Petersburg event this coming weekend. Yeah, well, an expanded field. Do you know what the prize money was in Manhattan Beach? What, what did the winners take home? I, I want to say they split thirteen or seventeen. Yeah, thirteen. Okay, I have to look it up. I have to find it somewhere. Uh, maybe somebody else can can find it somewhere. I don't see it. It's one of those things that's not been readily available. It used to be one of those things that was heavily promoted, and I imagine you wanted to promote it when you had nice numbers like a hundred thousand dollars to the winners or eighty thousand dollars to the winners. Like that was a number you want to throw out there. But when the number's substantially smaller, it's not the main promo item. Um, I'm looking it up right now. The winners, Casey and Matt Furbringer, split twenty thousand. Second place split fifteen for Manhattan Beach. Yeah, I mean that's, those are great paydays if you're winning. Uh, if you're sure. on the winner, winning side of things, that's great. 
10 grand for a weekend. But it's funny, you always say it's 10 grand for a weekend. It's really 10 grand for a whole bunch of work before that, not really 10 grand on that weekend. It's like anything else. There's a lot of legwork goes into it. Oh, yeah. That's, I remind people, just like the DJ job, my, the easy part for me is the event. All the hard work goes in before, and the same thing for the players. Not that the event is easy for them, but literally all of the hard work happened prior to the event. Yeah. All right, so here's here's what else I wonder. So you have things like you have the Thin Beast and Superman, right? You have Correct. the Golden God. I'm just Furby. I'm just writing these down here. The Golden God and the Silver Fox, or is that or, or is that the same person now? That would be the same person. I mean, he was the Golden God for a long time, but the Silver Fox, cause that's his uh, retirement nickname. Okay, retirement nickname. But then you had Casey. What's Casey Jennings? What what was his nickname? Did he have a nickname? Uh, I don't think he really had a nickname. No, he's just Casey. So, so do we have a situation like that with Emily Day and the White Widow? I mean, you you have the White Widow next to you, and you're just Emily Day. Can you really be Clark Kent standing next to Superman? Can you really be? Well, that could never happen. But could you really be Clark Kent standing next to Batman? I don't see. I mean. Shouldn't you transform into, think, into Superman if you're standing next to Batman? I think the issue is, is who's going to lead? Is Superman the leader or is Batman the leader? You know what I'm saying? So the like, White Widow is in charge? Yes. Um, no, she can't be. She's too young to be. Like, Emily's got to be the one running the team currently. And then the White Widow... Yeah, that's a great question, but I, I still think – I mean, Emily's going to get – I feel like there's something that's going to work with her last name. Um, well, and, and I was thinking about opposite of her last name. So she's Emily Day, but they're shutting people out. So is she like good night? Is she nightmare? You know, something, something opposite of her name because daytime is like, oh, it's sunny and pleasant. Well, no, it's not sunny and pleasant when you're on the other side. <laughs> Well, then you have, this, you have like, Summer's first name and Dave's last name, and, like, it's not summertime anymore, so you could be, like, I don't know. It's There's a lot there's a lot going on, and like I said, it's, it'll be natural. Like, whenever a nickname comes up for her, it'll just be a natural thing. Okay. Were there any Emily Day's Bombs Away t-shirts? I have not. There was not. Um, I don't know how much of her family fan base was there for her, so we may have to wait till St. Petersburg. We also don't know how many of her family fan base listen to the show. Uh, we need some of them to listen to the program and make sure that that shirt happens. Emily Day is bombs away. That's, uh, yes. that's got to happen. So, Jeremy, where are you um, now? I did, I did talk to her. I did talk to her about her being on the show. She said she had a great time, loved it, and I said if she keeps playing this way, I expect her to be on the show a lot more. <laughs> well, definitely the case. I mean, if if you needed any motivation, it's just to get on this program. That's the bottom line. It's, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah this program be on our show. driving players to succeed in their profession. That's what we're doing here every day. Uh, so, Jeremy, where are you now? Because you uh, you have some time in between events. Uh, you're from Virginia. Did you stop halfway down? Uh, what was your plan? I did actually. Uh, a good friend of mine drove up to Atlantic City on Sunday and uh, caught the finals, and we hung out in Atlantic City Sunday night. And I've been in Virginia the last couple of days, and then I fly to St. Petersburg tomorrow morning. Okay, so boots on the ground tomorrow. Boots on the ground tomorrow. So I um, I will be, have been gone from California for like eleven and a half, twelve days, and I just want to point out that 
I pack for 11 days with a backpack that is basically all of my DJ equipment and a carry-on bag. That's impressive. You do have small clothes, yep, though. I, I mean, a pair of your shoes is like, like a size 3 shoe, so it'll fit on most I, anywhere. I do not like what you're implying right now. <laughs> and do you have small hands. Do you smell I, like cabbage? I resent the fact that you are making fun of my height and stature, and only because it's true. Right, <laughs> my foot is larger than a size three and a half. But uh, yes, I'm impressed. And the only reason I was able to do it is because I knew I could do a quick load of laundry at my friend's house, so I can kind of double up on some of the clothes in St. Petersburg. But I was impressed with myself. Eleven days with a carry-on bag. I mean, come on. Jeremy, my older son is into a ten and a half. Should we start handing shoes up to you after he's done with them? <sighs> Again, not pleased with the uh, with implications that are happening on the show currently. And if he can wear creative recreations are my shoe of choice at the moment, then yes, he is more than happy to give me his shoes once he's done with them. Creative recreation is that the one? Correct. Yep. You know those shoes that you tried to buy, but you have giant feet, and they don't make cool shoes and giant they, feet? Remember those? They had cool shoes. They were on sale. I didn't buy them. I was going to get back to figuring out, do I need a 14 or 15? And then they sold them all, and now they're back to being expensive. But they have some good stuff. I like how you said uh, creative recreations, though. That's uh, that's good. <laughs> you could change their name. Do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do what I want. It's like last week. We, we were inventing sh- inventing words on the show here last week. We came up with... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember here. I'm looking for it in the file. We uh, we came up with some some interesting stuff, but of course the file, you know, this pile of paper that is the old NetLive shows. Not sure where uh, where it's gone. Tremendous something something off the edge of tremendous it was excellent. Nice. Yeah. Are you hosting the show solo today? Is that what's happening? Yeah, just me. I mean, despite the fact that this is the uh, the Chris McGee birthday show, the celebratory birthday show for Chris McGee here on TNL. I am uh, I am just just going by myself, hosting it alone. Oh, Biomecular, Brian, no. Brandon Rosenthal tuned in with. That was one we invented last week, Biomecular. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Does uh, Gator know that it's his birthday show and he just leaked you or you're just calling it that? He has no idea because I think, uh, according to Instagram, he was golfing this morning. Uh, oh, he was... Uh, he, he had a surf session this morning. That's what it was. I hope he was doing that. I told him. I said, Geeter birthday TNL show starts at 12 p.m. today. You're you're invited to celebrate. Happy birthday, Geet. That was my message <laughs> to him this morning at about uh, 7:25. So hopefully he woke up to that one. And did he respond to you with, "Who is this?" <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why is someone from Colorado Springs uh, texting me this early? That's not. Uh, that's not cool. Very good. Let's, uh, let me talk. Let me talk about Peter for one hot second. He is a legend in the announcer side of the sport of volleyball. Would you agree? Yes. Would you agree that Dustin Avall, who is now the announcer for the AVP, has some big shoes to fill? Yes. Would you also agree that it takes more than three events? for people to really decide if you can fill Gator's shoes or not? I'd agree with that. Is Dustin involved in some sort of online dispute about his performance? No, no. It's uh, Dustin, who I must say, he really came into his own this past weekend in Atlantic City. I mean, he, for the finals, since we didn't have TV, like we weren't 
crunch for time, like, okay, you have 30 seconds to introduce the teams and go. Like, Dustin really got after it in both finals, introducing all the teams. I got goosebumps. The crowd was all fired up. The players were fired up. Jen Ketsy gave Dustin a chest bump. Nice. And Dustin was not pre- Dustin was not prepared for the chest bump at all whatsoever, but he handled it like a professional and kept going. Um, and he, it was. I've, I've talked to some of the referees and they're like, oh, you know, is Dustin going to be good? Blah blah. I was like, look, like, and, and let's be clear. Like, some of these referees have been around since 1950, so they're used to the old school style of it and all that stuff. And I'm like, look, Dustin is on his own right now. He's going to find his voice. And when Geeter first started, not everybody liked Geeter either, but Geeter also had Jim Rico there with him his first season or two, so Geeter wasn't out there by himself right away. Right. Dustin's out there by himself trying to follow a legend, and I thought he did a fabulous job this past weekend. Well, good job by TNL alumni Dustin Aval. And Dustin's got to find his own voice. Like you said, he's got to find his own deal. He can't just try and be Geeter Part 2. So I, yeah, I wish him the best in that. the worm and no. giving the under pressure, going to game three talk because it would just seem disingenuous. Like he, right. I mean, he got after it this weekend in the finals. And I, I mean, you know, I think the fans felt it. The player, I know the players like us. Um, you know, when I, I don't ask them one way or the other and they come up and tell me on their own, then you know, you know, then you know that they're, they're good with him. So I, I I'm glad that, the way he handled the finals in Atlantic City happened, and I look forward to uh, I look forward to him finding his voice that much more in the next few events. Good job by Dustin Aval. Tell him no worm, go with the Dougie. Tell him to go with the Dougie. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, we got to get going here. We got CBW coming up. We have uh, a new contributor, Deb Static, coming on the program here in just a moment. So, oh, nice. Yeah, awesome. we, we're improving the show, even though you're not here. We'll look forward to uh, having you back next week. Thanks for checking in, dude. Hanging out for a while. Of course. We'll do. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Jeremy Ruscha checking out from Virginia. He'll be down in St. Pete this next week. If you want to go check out the AVP event, do it. It's been a lot of fun. It's on its way up. This is it Live on a Tuesday. Hope you're getting us via iTunes, podcasting for free, or you can stream us anytime off the Volleyball Mag website. Kevin Barnett, be right back with College of Volleyball Weekly.
Welcome back into the Net Live here on Tuesday. Kevin Barnett holding down the home court with a little strawberry swing there from Coldplay. Go and check them out. One of my favorites. They put on a great show. People who I know that have been to their live studio show have said it's uh, simply incredible on the scale of some of the old U2 shows. So great stuff there. Appreciate you tuning in. We now start our next segment. This is a segment you all are familiar with. If you listen to this show for a little while, you know that we like being in association with an association. And so the ABCA has sponsored for a long time the College of Volleyball Weekly, a look at what was in the world of college volleyball, and a look forward to what will be and things you ought to be watching if you are a fan of women's or men's collegiate volleyball. Right now it's the women. We're still just kind of getting started. A lot of non-conference scheduling going on, a lot of tournaments being played. We've had Brandon Rosenthal on this show for a couple of years, hosting the College Volleyball Weekly and acting as an expert. And we're pleased now to welcome a new expert and contributor here to the Net Live, a woman who played for Iowa State for from 2008 to 2011. She's from a volleyball family, has a lot of sisters and brothers that play, a couple of brothers, one that's a senior, one that's still looking to get into college. Her sister plays for Illinois, and both her parents played at Wheaton College in my area. And everybody's a middle blocker. I don't know. We'll see how that affects the family. Look forward to talking to her about that. She also worked at USA Volleyball last summer after getting out of college and currently is back with the Badger region up there in Milwaukee. Please welcome the Net Live, Deb Static. Deb, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you doing? Cool. Thanks for calling in. And Brandon, are, uh, are you there? Because we got your new partner, buddy. You better be excited. I am. I'm pumped. I'm jacked about life. I'm talk- ready to talk about biomecular, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> biomecular. There was another one that had something to do with tremendous, treatious or something. I can't remember from last week. But uh, let's get I'll call you. Call Higa on that one. Yeah, we'll talk to Brandon Higa, co-host from last week. But let's get you started on this. Brandon, Brandon Penn State loses to Texas, but it's three-two and uh, a heck of a matchup. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, this is exactly what we would hope for out of a, out of a matchup like this this early. Uh, um, you know, I think it, when you look at the tournament itself with Texas, Stanford, Florida, and Penn State, not much more you can ask for. Texas coming up huge, uh, two big wins over uh, Stanford and Penn State, Florida. Uh, you know, again, uh, having to play Stanford and, and beating them. And, and Stanford really is the one that comes out, you know, looking like, oh, man, they had a, a, a tough weekend. And, you know, I would I would probably say, hey, let's hold the horses there a little bit. Uh, traveling, like I said, clear across country, I, I figured this might be, you know, an issue. Uh, typically it's the other way. It's east going west, but here it is, west going east. And uh, what a tournament. Uh, all the games look to be fairly competitive. And, and again, Texas, Penn State, everything you'd hope it to be going five sets. Deb, one of the fun things on this program is I get to talk about Pepperdine all the time at will and just whenever I feel like it. So I noticed that one of the first things in your blog here that you're doing for the ABCA this year, I see the Iowa State matchup with Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured a, a good way to get started with my blogging with the ABCA was to just get all my dirty laundry out on the table um, and kind of throw out that I had affiliations with both programs. And, you know, it's always easy talking about two programs that you kind of have a lot of inside knowledge on. So that was a fun way to get started and definitely did not turn out the way that I thought it was going to, that's for sure. Yeah, that was number 11, Iowa State taking on number 18, Illinois. And Illinois won 3-0. Uh, was your sister Katie critical in this win or was there something else, somebody else? At work. 
Um, you know, she actually did not play it. She oh. there is a junior middle who is um, playing really, really well for them right now. She's their primary front hitter. And then actually, Maddie Mayers was a redshirt freshman last season, and she has come on hot for the Illini so far. She was actually named um, Big Ten Freshman of the Week after her first performance out in California during their first tournament, and she's playing really well for them right now. Um, But, you know, in that match, I feel like Illinois was just playing with a sense of urgency. You know, after not making the tournament last season, after their finals appearance um, in 2011, all of these pre-conference matches are so important for them because once they hit that that Big Ten schedule, every every single match is going to be a grind. So there's no guarantee. So I kind of felt like they just went into that match just determined to walk away with the win and make sure that they're above 500 once NCAA comes around. Hey, does any of that sense of urgency come from Kevin Hambly, uh, coach there at Illinois, who definitely expected to be better after the results you mentioned from a few years ago? Yes, for sure. You know, he has done such a phenomenal job creating a culture, a very specific culture for those players. Um, I know my sister going in as a freshman has not felt nervous or has not felt pressure, you know, other than your obvious freshman jitters. But he has just made it very easy for those players to play the game and love the game. And he kind of has the philosophy that they're going to do things the right way. So, you know, we didn't see the results last season. He gives them a super tough pre-conference schedule again, which is a little bit surprising, I think, to some people because one immediate reaction might be to make sure that you make the tournament again next year, and a way to do that would be to schedule easier pre-conference games. But, right. you know, he kind of wants his players tested early, and it's worth biting the bullet a little bit early on if it means that they're learning something and really coming on strong later. So I think that sense of urgency is there. But I think that the stress is really, really on the procedure that they're using to get there as much as actually getting there. Another game that's inside of your blog here is UCLA and Hawaii. And to me, it seems like Hawaii is the big surprise early in this season. They've been getting some big wins, including a 3-0 victory in that match. Is Hawaii, was Hawaii kind of underrated coming into this season? You know, I'm not sure if they're underrated. I think that they just have a ton of momentum right now. You know, Shoji getting that win, I can't even imagine what it would be play, be like to play for a coach who had just reached that kind of milestone. So I'm sure that's kind of in the back of those players' heads, just driving them. Um, you know, Emily Hartong right now is playing as well as any outside that I've seen so far this season. And if she keeps up the fire that she's been bringing, I think they're going to be a very, very hard team to stop down the road. Brandon, getting back to your way, it was Michigan State and Michigan both beating Oregon. This seems like a, a big fall-off, but not something as necessarily unexpected for Oregon. But what does it say about Michigan State and Michigan? Well, I mean, I, again, I think it goes back to you know what the Big Ten is all about, and and that's going to be just one heck of a, a conference schedule here. And uh, you know, <clears throat> the Pac-12 has kind of reigned supreme for a lot of years, and and. And I think uh, there's been some conferences knocking on the door. I think obviously the Big Ten is is right there with Michigan, Michigan State, uh, you know, Illinois, uh, Penn State, Nebraska. So I mean, it's 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 some of the best volleyball in the country. And uh, you know, I, I continue to be impressed with Michigan, and not you know, not because they're not good. It's just you know, I thought that they had a magical run last year. I was interested to see. Could they make this happen on a regular basis? And, again, they've kind of picked up 
where they left off from last year. And, uh, you know, a win against a three set win against Oregon is, is impressive to me. You know, I, I understand Oregon still kind of coming back, but you know, you've got wins over Clemson, Xavier, Northern Kentucky, Oregon state, Oregon, uh, not really a bad team in the mix. You know, it's not like they're playing, uh, the 200 schools or anything like that, you know, RPI wise. So impressed with them. Michigan state, uh, as a matter of fact, we're actually just watching uh, a match with them versus one of our opponents coming up, Virginia tech and Michigan state is huge. I'm talking just absolutely ginormous. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, when it comes down to conference season, I think, uh, it will be a lot of fun. You know, it's interesting. You asked, uh, Deb, the question about scheduling tough in the, in the preseason recently in the new ABCA magazine, Terry Pettit has an article and just his title, 12 things I would do if I were still coaching college volleyball. And one of the items is talking about the process over, you know, uh, the results and understanding that you might take some early season losses, but getting better is the most important thing. And, and wins in November and December are a lot more important than wins in August. Yeah, do coaches get caught up in trying to manipulate the RPI and worrying about matchups and regions and everything else when what they really ought to be doing is worrying about controlling their own gym? The answer is yes. No doubt about it. I, I find it hard to believe that any other coach would uh, honestly say anything differently. I think it's hard to get uh, not get caught up in that. Uh, we're driven by, quote-unquote, the RPI, and you and I have talked about this for a long time, until we, we get some sort of balancing you know, system of uh, – uh, top 25, and again, I think AVCA is doing a nice job of of bringing theirs into play. But until the you know NCAA kind of starts to recognize a little bit more of this, I think you have to be. You know, I think that the real kind of crux of the situation is just understanding that hey, listen, we've got to go and play tough teams. I think you know some of the teams that we've talked about you know so far have done that, and uh, that's a beautiful thing. I think these are coaches that say, you know what. Uh, win or lose, we're going to get better by doing this, and that's what's most important. But I, I think there are definitely coaches out there that look at the RPI and schedule the RPI, and I think you have to. You know, we've talked about this privately is the idea that um, the NCAA is, is really taking kind of one through you know, 40 something out of the uh, RPI and it's hard to uh, get away from that, especially if you're a coach that's, you know, in that mix that's, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50. I think you have to be cognizant of that and, and really, you know, work that kind of delicate balancing act between, hey, how do we yeah. make it better and how do we, you know, work this formula. It seems like one of those things that if you're a coach, you can totally get caught up in. It's much the way stats are treated these days. You can slice stats so many different ways. You can look at so much video that you as a coach can drive yourself crazy with all the exotic permutations, whether it's the RPI or your opponent's offense or your own offense or defense. You can go nuts with the tiny little details and forget to teach the basics and just take care of the most basic things that generally win you matches. 
Yeah, you know, I was, again, I've been doing this for long enough that, you know, just reading this article, I, I encourage everybody to read it. Uh, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting. Obviously, somebody that's done it for a long time and was successful at it, but now has stepped away from it and had some time to reflect on it. You know, it's 12 pretty simple points, but uh, something that, you know, as I was reading through it, I was taking notes and, you know, making some thoughts on it. it it's it is tough, but the most important thing is, is like he points out, is getting better. And, and one of the big things he talks about is is rest. And I know that is a four-letter word for some coaches out there, but, uh, you know, it's amazing. And you and I have talked about the idea of rest and how beneficial it can be versus just practicing to practice. Yeah, coaches sometimes getting caught up in that. A look at the top 10 or top 25, Southern California now number one, up from number three, Texas. Up to number two, Penn State, Minnesota, Florida. So Minnesota continuing uh, their ascension there. They're in fourth for the second week in a row, but they started the season a couple of down from there. Washington, Michigan, Stanford, UC San Diego, then Hawaii in 10th, UCLA in 11th, Nebraska, Ohio State, Illinois, Michigan State are your top 15. Deb, I wonder about Southern Cal being ranked number one. They are 6-0. and They beat Marquette, TCU, and Northern Illinois, our friend Ray Gooden over there over the week. Is that enough to be jumped up to number one? You know, I'm not sure how I feel about that one. I was looking at it pretty closely when I was writing my my blog last night and kind of working on it. I think they have a good team. I don't know that they've necessarily been tested all that much this year. You know, granted, that's good competition and, you know, early season wins. There's something to be said for going out and chipping off six in a row. That shows a level of consistency that's definitely admirable. Um, I'm just going to be curious to see what happens as they start facing some tougher competition. And I think this San Diego match that they have coming up is going to be a, a pretty interesting matchup to watch just because USC has that big block. And, you know, you have San Diego who's smaller and they have those shorter outsides and they've been doing some some pretty head-turning stuff so far this season with some big wins over ranked opponents. So I think it'll be a good test to see where USC really stands after after this weekend rolls around. Yeah, USC six victories coming over Purdue, Western Kentucky, and Alabama A&M back there in West Lafayette, Indiana, tournament style. Then it was TCU, Marquette, and Northern Illinois over the past week. They will get San Diego next, as Deb mentioned, and then versus UC Santa Barbara and Eastern Washington. And then they have Irvine and Fullerton before they start to embark on their conference schedule. That will happen on the 25th of September, and I may actually be at that match. I have to check my schedule. But, hey, Deb, give us uh, some other matches to look forward to besides that SC San Diego. Yeah, one that's particularly interesting to me, just being from this Wisconsin area, is that the Badgers are back in the top 25 rankings for the first time since 2008. Um, You know, they just took on new head coach Kelly Sheffield, and he has been doing some really great things with that program. And they are going head-to-head with Kansas. I think this one's going to be interesting because Wisconsin has played some good matches so far, but they're another team that I want to see how they do once they start facing some serious competition. Uh, Kansas has not emerged on any radars yet, but they're a solid top three finisher in the Big 12 every season. They have a lot of weapons, so I am really looking forward to seeing that one and kind of how Wisconsin, Wisconsin looks now that they have Carlini back. She was the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a setter, and she is just coming back from injury too, so... Now that she's back in the mix, I think Wisconsin could start to really find their groove and continue to climb up in those rankings as the season goes on, especially once they start Big Ten play. It'll be interesting to see how they pan out. Very nice. Kelly Sheffield, good work there. Brandon Rosenthal, give us something to look forward to here. 
Well, I think you got to really look at the in-state rivalry of Louisville and Kentucky, which is taking place tonight. Ann Cordes taking her Cardinals to Big Blue Nation in Lexington versus Skinner and his crew. I think this will be a, a big test for both teams. And, uh, you know, I think Louisville going one way and, and Skinner and his crew going the other way. On, on the flip side of things, too, for Skinner and his crew, they've got a big week coming up as the Waves uh, head into uh, Lexington. And uh, that should be a, a fun kind of tournament to see, you know, who what happens there. Kentucky takes on Pepperdine and Minnesota this weekend. So a big week of Louisville, Pepperdine, and Minnesota. The other matchup that I like or, or uh, a tournament that I like is this uh, tournament at Arizona State. Jason Watson and our girl Linda Hampton-Keith uh, playing in this weekend, playing Illinois and Tejas. So uh, some great matchups, Illinois. Texas, I think that will be a, a fun kind of uh, deal uh, mixed in. Arizona State 6-0 and right now. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun to see you know, what happens with Arizona State, see uh, kind of that I don't know if you want to call it this pretender-contender type of thing. Uh, but, again, I love what Illinois has done early as far as scheduling. Kevin Hambly is not shying away from competition and saying, listen, we're going to go for it. And, uh, you know, the only blemish, uh, two blemishes, Long Beach State and San Diego. San Diego doing some nice things as well. So it uh, should be a fun week. All right. Yeah, those are some good matchups there. This is a lot of fun inside the top 25. Congratulations to Wisconsin on making it in at 25th, right behind Creighton. Hopefully they can stay there over the week. Louisville's got some work to do. They dropped out, but they will get a chance, and they get a shot at those other good teams, top 25 teams. So should be an interesting week. Rose, thanks very much. Deb, great job on your first one. Hopefully we'll get you back again uh, next you. Tuesday. Yeah, for sure. It's been fun. All right, Deb Static and Brandon Rosenthal checking in. Thanks, guys. Talk to you. Yeah. Great job. All right, College Volleyball Weekly coming to a close. Uh, check those matches out. Lots of great early season matchups. You heard it right there. Pep in Kentucky, Minnesota and Kentucky, ASU, Illinois, ASU, Texas, Wisconsin, Kansas, USC versus USD. Those are all going to be fun ones. You definitely need to check those out. All right, well, I like it. Good job by Deb. Thank you very much, Deb. Thanks for being aboard here. Always good to get somebody from the Midwest, from my own area. Parents go to Wheaton College. Nice. Right near Naperville. Good stuff. Uh, let's get another guy who's from all over the place and a founding member of this program. He's got a little bit of information, perhaps, as he drives home from practice. Uh, Reed Pretty, are you there? What's up, guys? How you doing? There's no guys, dude. It's just Guy. What's up, Guy? It's just me. There's uh, there's no one else here. I heard J-Row there. No, J. Rowe, man, he's in uh, he's in Virginia. He doesn't come to the show anymore. He's on a, an odyssey much like that of Grand Prix. He's got a month out of town, and he may or may not be back. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> so, Reed, you guys had some red-blue scrimmages in preparation for Norseka. I saw some, some names coming back, the guys like Sean Rooney, and I saw some new names stepping in there, guys like Micah Christensen. Give us uh, kind of the lowdown on how those scrimmages went and how well were they attended. Did Southern California turn out to see your team? Yeah, I think it was a good turnout, you know, for a men's match. I think that the women uh, will always draw more crowd, and I think that they're – I think they had 11 scrimmages this year. I think they were very well attended from everything that I've heard. But, uh, we – 
played in two uh, fairly small venues, and both seemed full. So uh, I think it was a good turnout. I think for us, anytime you get sort of um, out of the practice realm and into a game-type situation, you're dealing with different things, and uh, I think they're all good things. And uh, so I think both scrimmages were successful. I think the staff continues to play with all sorts of different lineups. And, um, you know, I, I think – uh, I think those guys are going to be the guys you need to talk to about personnel and, and who, who they feel, um, you know, they want to take to this next tournament. But lots of guys are getting uh, looks in different areas, um, and I, I think it's been a really productive training block. Yeah, who performed well in the scrimmages? Who stood out? Um, I think uh, I think in the first scrimmage. Um, I remember Sean Rooney having a great first set in particular. Uh, they seemed to streak him uh, early, and um, I think uh, they seemed to play, that, that other team seemed to play a better um, a better first 20 points, but we seemed to close the gap after 20, and we came out with a win on that one. Um, Eric Soji played particularly well that first that first scrimmage. Uh, the second scrimmage, uh, I guess Micah. I guess you got to say Micah because honestly, six weeks ago, I honestly had no idea who he was. And yeah. I, know, I know the world of college volleyball knew who he was because he's been playing great at SC, but I, I literally didn't know who he was. And I, I've been very impressed with him, uh, his maturity level, his skill. Uh, I really like the way that he can uh, – I mean, he's got a good serve. He's a good blocker, and he's a good defender. And so, really, the question is uh, – not the question. It's just a timing issue, uh, getting him game time, pressure, uh, matches at the international level. And so, uh, I really like him. I like all of our setters. I think our three guys that we have right now are all doing great things. And um, – and so that's that's good to see and and um and yeah, I think the second match uh Lamborn Rich was probably the best I've seen him play. I, I think he's playing at a really high level and uh digging balls, passing well, really steady. And so um he was on the other side during our scrimmage and so he his uh, his play really stood out, extended rallies, uh passed Woodhull. And uh, I like the stuff that Murphy Troy's bringing on a on a daily basis. And uh, you know, just overall, the guys are bringing what they need to bring on a daily basis. You know, the right attitude, work ethic, and pushing each other. And um, I think the the question mark is for the, the the themes that are that are spreading in the gym is how do we beat the curve of learning, and how do we become mature without having to go through what normal what normally people go through good luck with that defeat you know yeah the hard the hard uh going through the hard life experiences how do you somehow speed that up and it's a uh i don't know that there is really an answer to that um i think it's hard to do but i think the coaching staff is trying to get us to be introspective to sort of uh try to expedite that learning process
Time travel. That's how you do it, Reed. Pretty time travel. Hey, what uh, what percentage of the roster for Norseka is it your sense has already been decided? I mean, there's 12, there's 12 or 14 for this particular tournament because they keep changing it on me, and I never know which it is. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, uh, but what, what percentage do you think? I don't know the answer to either. <laughs> Take a stab at it, pretty. I think that uh, I think that it's only twelve, but I'm not 100 percent sure. And I would like to think that they've got 80 percent of the roster nailed down. But honestly, every single day is a different set of guys, and they're trying to put outsides at opposite and, and opposites at outside, and re- really trying to experiment with different looks and just trying to get uh, the personnel. Uh, that they want on the court, trying to figure out what configuration is uh, is best. All right. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, here's the question I know is on everyone's mind when it comes to the men's team, and since he doesn't do media, we have to ask you, how's Clay? <laughs> Clay is uh, a part of things. He's. Uh, I don't know that he'll be necessarily ready to make this trip, but um, – I think that he is uh he's spiking, he's jumping, he's blocking. Um he's not in live six on six kills, but he's doing backcourt stuff. Um I believe that he uh has inked a deal to play overseas and so that's that's not news I'm gonna break particularly, but that's something I can try to see if he can call on the show next week. Good luck with that. And and yeah, and uh and so, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be ready for this tournament, but um, I think that if, if we can qualify for November, I'm, I'm sure that he's going to be uh, in a great place come November. For qualification, I was talking at the opening of the show about your team and about what's going on there with Norseka. It seems to me the biggest threat to you guys in the zone right now has to be Canada. I think that um, I think John would argue that the biggest threat is ourselves, so to speak. You know what uh-huh. I mean? He's really trying to instill. He's really in trying to instill uh, a system by which we're trying to reach our max potential, and and we go out there and we play free, uninhibited, fearless, highly skilled volleyball. And so that's I think what we're focusing on 100%. There hasn't been a single thought about who we're going to face. Now, side conversations, definitely there's an awareness that Canada is a formidable formidable force. They're sort of – they've had their same core group, um, and they've been playing well. Freddie Winters, seasoned veteran at this point, he does great things. There was a match that he went nine for nine in the last North State Olympic qualifier. Um, He's got the ability to – uh, hit high flat and the ability to get cagey with shots. And so he's a steady player. And then, of course, uh, you've got um, Gordon, the other outside hitter, I believe, who's sort of a uh, a Jimmy Polster-like body, yet he's springy and dynamic. And so he's... He's not pasty white? Um, he's <laughs> also pasty white. Ah. No, no, he is. They, they have that in common. Maybe that's the parallel I'm trying to draw. No. Um, and uh, Schmidt, 
of course, is one of those talents that uh, when, when it all gets put together, he's going to be up there with the best of them. And, there's, you know, I, I haven't been inside their gym. I haven't seen him play since maybe January. So I'm not quite sure where he's at in, on his own personal development as a player. But when things align, um, he's very difficult to stop. And uh, Suni has also apparently uh, the left-handed opposite has played uh, just as much time in that role on the opposite. And he can mix things up. He's got a lot of range. Um and so I think they're dealing with uh, a young setter as well. Um, you know, young's a relative term. I mean, he's been around uh, for the last quad, but that's always something that I think all teams are trying to build their teams around. And so there's no doubt that they're going to be tough, that they're going to be feeling very comfortable in their own environment. And um, and I think uh, I think they're definitely going to be a tough opponent to get through. Yeah, careful the fans don't start throwing loonies and toonies at you. Those things are heavy. Gavin Schmidt reminds me a bit of Clay 2002-2003, where everything's not quite there, but you can see where it would be possible. Uh, Dallas Sunius is the other player you mentioned at the opposite position, so keep an eye on him. So Schmidt and Sunius, when you're watching these matches coming up uh, uh, for the United States men. Keep an eye on those guys for Canada. Reed, uh, United States men, you guys are playing in Langley, British Columbia, the 23rd to the 29th of September. What does the rest of the rhythm of the end of the year look like? When is Grand Champions Cup? Will you be overseas and back again if you're a player that has signed overseas? Yeah, I think basically we'd get back the 1st of October from this tournament. Uh, and if we happen to be the winner of that tournament, then um, – we, I think the team would disband. Uh, the guys who signed contracts would have to report to their teams and be gone for maybe five or six weeks, and then the team would probably collect. I'm guessing probably in Japan, but, but I don't know that. Uh, you'd have to ask the staff. Um, I think the rule is that they have to, from the start of the tournament, all international players need to be released from their clubs uh, two weeks prior to the first match. And so sometimes we collect in Anaheim, sometimes we collect at lo- you know on location, and uh, and that would be the end of the season. All right, very good. We'll keep your eye on the USA men's team, 29th to the or 23rd to the 29th of September. Reed Pretty, thanks for checking in, dude. Very good. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Reed Pretty, checking out here on the net live, and uh, I'm going to check out here on the net live on my way out. Thanks very much for tuning in. We appreciate you being a part of the program and tuning in each week to this show. I uh, I will be here next week, hopefully with somebody. We're looking at about a Tuesday, maybe, as uh, this program gets underway again. Thanks to Deb Static. Thanks to ABCA. Thanks to Brandon Rosenthal. Thanks to Bubble Mag for their support of this show, The Net Live. See you again next week.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.